This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular Champ Chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization Spirit North will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is the Ski Tour 2020 Stage 1 post-race recap. Okay, here's the episode. Saturday morning, Stage 1, Ski Tour 2020. Let's start with the women, but before we get there, that works, is uh, just kind of your thoughts. It's a new tour, six stages from Sweden into Norway and four respective stops. Yeah, no, it's an exciting tour. And, you know, these tour formats are becoming more and more popular. I think it's really cool and really great that we're taking an event like this into Scandinavia. Um, You know, it's no secret, Norway and Sweden uh, if you with with Russia, I mean, these are the three biggest countries in Nordic skiing. So to have an event at this uh, at this level in the countries that really really care about it, awesome stuff. Especially Trondheim. Trondheim's supposed to has been trying to get or Trondelag, I should say. I mean, it's a region in Norway. To think of it like a state or a province in Canada. So Trondelag in Norway is um, this is the region where Trondheim is part of, and there's just been so many of the top athletes come from that region. It has just such an amazingly rich ski history. Recently, of course, like Johannes Klebo is from there, Marit Bjergen's from there, uh, Petter Nortug's from there. So, I mean, there's serious pedigree in the region, and they did hold the World Championships in 1997 in Trondheim, and they've had World Cups here and there, but not very often. So, to have a tour come through here uh, into the region there is just great stuff, and um, so a wonderful idea. And a season with is saturated with World Cups. It's nice to have not just one, but two high points of the season. The, uh, the Tour de Ski, of course, that's kind of like, think about it as the first half's um, big objective. And now you have the Ski Tour 2020 as the second half of the season's big objective. So really interesting. I'm, I'm psyched to follow along, even though I'm not going to lie, Jason, today, 
<laughs> we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But uh, but uh, there was some seriously dominant performances. There's some reasons for that. Um, but no, for sure, really exciting format, and it'll be fun to follow along. Like you said, some really interesting ideas. They're taking trains from venues. They're not flying. They're trying to, you know, yes, is it uh, climate washing? Sadly, that's what Nordic skiing is. I mean, you had a great conversation, I remember, a while ago with, with Andrew Newell about that. And sorry, that's just the reality of cross-country ski racing at the highest level. I mean, you got to look at it. The two ways to look at that is you can be cynical and go like, oh, you're going to take trains from each venue. Like, good for you as you burn a bunch of fluorocarbons into the bases and take like how many semi-trailers are you driving from venue to venue, blah, blah, blah. Yes, for sure, absolutely. But it is a soapbox that people can stand on and say, at least we're trying to do something and trying to get a message across about that athletes, staff, and the cross-country community care about uh, about climate change. Of course they do. It affects them absolutely. Uh, So, I mean, it's a start and uh, it's better than not doing anything. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. And it was kind of, it was something I kind of went back and forth on about like, I did a little very brief preview of the ski tour, maybe published on Thursday. I was like, do I even get into the whole green aspect? Because as you said, I felt a little bit like, well, at the end of the day, everybody's flying over there to get to all these venues and there is a massive, massive footprint, but that said, you're right. It is a start. And one thing that Matt Wickham pointed out this morning that I thought was, is cool. I knew that it was, it's, it is mandatory travel for the athletes on train, uh, from venue to venue. And in fact, you know, I, again, the cynic in me this morning was thinking, okay, well, uh, you know, the athletes that have all these resources behind them, who's hopping into their private car and cruising right back to see the physio and, you know, massage therapist at the hotel. And Matt reminded me that if they in fact do not take mass transit, they are disqualified from the tour, which I thought was like, puts a little meat into it for, you know, for athletes. No, no, for sure. And they're trying to make, they're trying to make it good. But of course, a cynic would also say, it's sponsored by V, which is uh, you saw those banners all over the course today. And V is the like used to be called N- uh, NSB, which is the Norwegian like uh, train, <laughs> the like state run train sure. uh, right. rail right. rail company. Right. So they just changed the name. So so it's kind of like well, it's really cool you're taking trains, but you're it, a big part of the money is coming from the <laughs> the train business. <laughs> so <laughs> so it that that's convenient, but it's uh do you know like the reality is. They're trying it. They're trying something. It's proof of concept. It's not moving the needle whatsoever with the impact of climate and um, cross-country skiing. Because like you said, at the highest level, whether you're in F1, whether you're in tennis, whether you're in cross-country skiing, whether you're in alpine skiing, uh, these these events, if you want to be perfectly honest, are, are horrendous for the environment. Um, full stop. I mean, athletes, staff, everybody's traveling all over the world for something as frivolous as going around a loop in the woods as fast as they possibly can. And then drinking champagne when you win and crying into crying yourself to sleep when you have a bad day. It's it taken on its own. A cynic, I can understand that a cynic would be like, this whole thing is ridiculous if you're starting to talk about climate. Um, but uh, people that listen to this podcast and people that know me and you know that we love cross country skiing and this is the circuit. And I am, I think it is nice that they're, they are trying a concept like this, especially in a tour that 
like you said, people are trying to eke out those advantages every chance they can, especially with rest and recovery, so that everybody is on the same boat, although that boat is a train. Um, I think it's really cool. And, I, you know, I, I applaud the organizing committee for, for trying this concept. And this is, these are going to be the hard truths that baby Aurora, who may be 17 days on now, that she'll have to learn when her time comes. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like just to put it in perspective, and this isn't this isn't um, climate change necessarily as as it's reported, um, because there's some things going on, the other reasons for it. Uh, this this winter here in in Norway is kind of predicted that it was going to be a terrible winter, blah blah blah. But but in January, the average temperature in Lillehammer was about five to 10 degrees warmer than average. So, Ooh, so wow. these are realities that Aurora, even though she's only a very young, a very young woman, um, right, right out of the gun, she's, she's facing a little interesting winter. Although there's, there's, like I said, there's many other reasons than just like the, the, um, yeah. But anyway, hypothesizing a big blob of hot water in the ocean there. But anyway, exactly, exactly. The fluctuations in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, exactly. We just we no, we're not going there. Okay, because we have enough. We have enough to get through for today. But uh, no, for sure, interesting concept. Smooth segue here into the smooth, lycra-clad Teresa Yoharg. I mean, crushing it. And I think what are oh, I think Matt uses you know great word. He's like, well, Teresa Yoharg administered something like a beatdown today. And I just love that word administered because I was like, yes, clinical and just crushing it. Oh, for sure. It was a surgical beatdown. <laughs> yeah. With surgical precision, she absolutely destroyed the field. And Therese Yohag has been a step above in distance races. We've been talking about that all season long. In some of the mass starts, we've seen that they can be exciting. I thought Falun was exciting. Ebe Anderson put up a good show. And in the Tour de Ski, of course, we saw some great performances. Today, individual start, 10K skate on a course that suits her well, at least the working sections of Osterson suit her well. There's a lot of turny downhills and Therese is not the most, when stacked up against the likes of Jesse Diggins through the downhill sections with that are technical with corners, Therese Yohug is not on the same level as Jesse in that terrain. And, and Osterson does have a lot of that, but, but today, um, you know, I, I, in the Norwegian media, she had said that it could have been one of her best skate races of her entire life. And for Therese Yohag to say something like that, I mean, she's won races by this this amount before, but but that's for to have the, for the thirty one year old to have self reflection like that. That this is this could be one of the better skate races I've ever done. You look at the times twenty one forty nine, so the conditions were fast, and and like I said, Ostersund is a challenging course, so that that was. It was an impressive day for Teresa, but if you if if we're to believe what she's saying that this is one of the best skate races she's ever done, then you take that in context and it's like okay, well if on Teresa Yohug's best day ever, I expect her to beat the field by forty five seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yep. Okay, well, let's run down the the top six because it's very clean here. Yohog, Norway first. Heidi Vang second. Norway. Osberg third. Norway. Ebba Anderson, Sweden, in fourth. Haga, fifth, Norway. Jakobsen, sixth, Norway. There's a trend. No, there is a trend. And you know what? I, I was going to wait until we got into the men's field, but here's the reality. Well, it's the same in the men's field, right? It is. No, exactly. But but there's there's a bit of a trend today. And here's the reality. For people that don't really understand the technical aspects of skiing, especially when I'm, I'm saying the equipment, 
listen, Norway had the best skis in the field today, and they they often have some of the best skis in the field. Often they have the best skis in the field. But sometimes the margins are a little tighter. And today, I don't know what those boys did in the truck, but they had skis <laughs> that were a level above all the others. And and the athletes were saying that. The the coach, the head coach, Nossum was saying that. And when athletes almost feel like embarrassed, they're like, our skis, like, yes, I want a ski race, but honestly, the guys in the truck won the ski race today. Those days happen, and Norway came out on top and came into this tour with a big old, like, <laughs> like it was a real show of strength. And for the men and women, if you're going to give these athletes, the, the fittest athletes in the world, the best equipment, and a level above all other nations, this is what happens. And you had five Norwegians, like you said, in the women's field in the top six. Ebba Anderson, great race, but she's 53 seconds back. But again, when taken into consideration that Therese Johag had what could have been one of the best races of her whole career in skating, uh, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I think there's some other things today that I thought were really impressive. Jesse's in eighth. And yes, of course, 10K skate. I know a lot of the American fans think of 10k skate jesse should be or not should be god never should be like i've said so many times if you're in the top 10 in the world cup you're in an elite level um and just look at how tight the times are but jesse in eighth i thought it was a solid day for her she i think she had good discipline out there she didn't start with a whole like with major jam she wasn't attacking the course like she has in the past but i think that paid off and eighth is a solid day and when you look at the time back it puts her in a good position tomorrow in the pursuit to ski with a lot of great classic skiers. Rosie Brennan was a phenomenal day today. Ninth place, again, I know she's had better results in the past. Not much better, but a little better. But Rosie also had a very disciplined race, skied absolutely wonderfully. Two Americans in the top 10, especially on a day when the Norwegian skis were better and for sure better than any other country today. These are impressive results. So the U.S. had a great start little sad for Sadie. She's not able to, she's, she's struggling right now after the, th- the tour to ski. Something, something's not going on. Something's not working quite right. Seems like she's carrying some fati- fatigue as still. And I know 10K skate might not be traditionally her best event ever, but Nordorks like us, we've seen, we've seen how good Sadie can be in an event like this. Mm-hmm. So we just got to hope that tomorrow's 10K classic in the pursuit style will, uh, will suit someone like, um, like Sadie well and then yeah so but it's uh, America I thought it was a good race good good day for for the US women um we shouldn't we shouldn't be disappointed when when we have women coming 8th and ninth in such a tight race outside of Teresa yeah and just kind of keeping in this North American trend here i mean Emily Nishikawa 32nd Sandrine Brown 35th um and what's notable for me, you know, when I'm looking at those results, they outpipped uh, Haley Swerble, who's from the U.S. in 36. And Haley has been on fire this season. So it, it it's a loaded field. And it's, I have to say, like, now I do feel it's an authentic trend uh, that Canada's building confidence. And, you know, they're just right outside the points, it seems like, you know, or in the points the past couple weekends. No, for for sure. I mean, the reality is with Canada is they are trying to rebuild something and it's going to take some time, especially on the distance side of things. It's been it's been a while since we've had very solid distance gears from the women's side in Canada and they are trying to build something. I thought Sandrine's race 
last week in Falun to score points was a great breakthrough for Sundry. And she's gone through a lot of tough things. Like I said, she was dropped from the national team. She had concussion issue. She had some other things going on. I know fact checking for those that are super more dorky than me. I said that it was Sandrine's first point. Yeah, I think it was her second. Yes, but the second, and this is a tangent we're not going to go down, but the first points she's ever, it was her second time in the points. And the other time she'd been in the points, it was a time of day in a pursuit where she started in the wave. I'm sorry. Like to me, crossing the finish line, like she did last week in Falun, (laughs) that is a true skiing into the points. And today, another solid race. What I think is exciting about Emily and Sandrine, especially, and and Haley, they're really close. Two of the three girls there should ski into the top 30. It's so close. And there's a lot of good classic skiers around them. Kurtu Niskanen is 159. And you have Lotte Vang. And then you have some sprinters in there that you just never know how they're going to ski. I mean, Lynn Svon, she's to, for her to be 25th is just an amazing yeah. race for her. Yep. Especially, on such, cool. especially on a challenging course. But she could come backwards. You have uh, the young Chinese athlete, Chi, who's 159 back. So Emily, Sandrine, and Haley, um, I think they could definitely, two out of the three could score points tomorrow. And, and I hope they do because Sandrine and Emily especially have had so many races where they've just been on the wrong side of the top 30 and today was another example of that but like you said this field is loaded and these are solid races and it's a good place to start from we got to remember there's five more races in this tour and they haven't got these chances to do tour formats before the canadian women this this generation of the canadian women so it is fun to see them fielding a pretty solid team and and for the first day really good and emily too horrendous day last week in Falun, especially on a course and event that suits her well. So it's nice that she could bounce back and come 32nd today. Yeah. I'm just curious. And this is, I know I just haven't done my research here. Um, the Chinese athlete, Chi in 28th in a loaded field, you know, I'm thinking about who's not here, you know, Bjorgen's retired. Stina Nielsen's out pretty much for the season. Yeah. She could be out for the season with a rib injury. So yeah. Absolutely. So it's pretty much a loaded field though. Otherwise. Oh, and it is. No, it is a totally loaded field. This, this ski tour today was a loaded field. Yeah. And this Chinese athlete gets 28th. I'm just curious, like statistically here, there, Joran, maybe some more homework. Uh, <laughs> a Chinese athlete in the women, a loaded women's field. Is this the best result? in sort of a non-championship event, which seems to be a little more exclusive because you're limited in, in how many athletes you can enter. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that's it's a cool hard to, result. It's hard to know because, oh, it is a really cool result. And what is cool as well is she's born in 1998. So as long as China continues to support, and they are supporting yeah, they are. cross-country <laughs> skiing by putting money like in from a pipe, like a pipeline of money from China into a leaf blower and then just like firing it like all over the place. They're spending so much money to improve in cross-country skiing. And to have a young Chinese athlete in Chi, who's born in 1998, score points in a loaded field like that. Yes, she's two minutes back, so there's there's room there's room to grow, absolutely. But you got to start somewhere, and it's a good start, absolutely. Last question on the women's side. So it's a two-sprint out of the six, t- six stages. We've got two sprints, uh, which just kind of looking at on paper – you know, the results from the first day, and obviously things can change drastically after a second stage. But, you know, we've got Diggins and Neprieva on paper who look like really the strongest sprinters, although Jakobsen sprinted well in the past couple of weeks, so has Vang. Uh, anyway, 
How's that look? You know, just throwing the sprints into the into the mix where there's going to be pretty significant bonus time. No, for sure. Like the tour to ski as well. It's one minute bonuses. It's not many tours. You get only 30 second bonuses, but in these longer tours, you get a minute bonus to win a sprint. Although <laughs> these sprints are a little special. The Trondheim sprint will just be a classic sprint, but Therese has shown that she can ski into the semifinals and classic sprints. So you know what? You're not yeah. going to get a minute on Therese Johug in a classic sprint. I'm sorry. And then the skate sprint, although at first sounded like, oh, it's skate sprint. Therese is good, probably going to get lose a minute. No question. But then they added a 300 meter section of an alpine hill in there. And that'll be really interesting to see because we've never seen a skate sprint where the last 300 meters is not not height meters, not elevation, but the last, okay, the, last right, right. the last 300 meters, like measured 300 meters of the course turns up the alpine hill and it's going to be very steep. So, you know, Teresa could have an amazing, maybe one of her best skate sprints ever in, in, a, in a race that finishes with such steep terrain. Heidi Wang already is a good skate sprinter when she's on form. Um, and then that only helps her because she's also a very good climber uh, in steep terrain. So the first skate sprint has a little bit of an asterisk to it. I'm really going to, it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out on top. I think that that minute bonus there, I mean, if Teresa or, or Ingveld, Ebba too, you know, who's not a sprinter whatsoever, but let's just wait and see how steep that last 300 meters is because it is on an Alpine Hill. It's not the last 300 meters of like, Oh, we're putting a little steep climb in like, no, no, it's, it's on an, an, an Alpine Hill. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And then, but uh, I agree with you. On paper, you have Jesse, you have Rose, uh, sorry, you have Jesse and you have uh, Neprieva that look very strong. And in Jakobsen was so strong in the Tour de Ski, especially in the classic sprint there. So um, those are the ones that jump out in the top 10. But these these sprints have, they're special with this tour, especially. So I'm really excited to see how, how these small changes play out. Okay. Common theme in the men's uh, 15K race, interval start skate as well. Uh, it started right at kind of twilight and moved into under the lights, uh, which was pretty cool. As it got dark, we've got Norway locked in at the first four spots. Uh, insert Bolshin off the overall World Cup leader in fifth. Hans Christer Holland, the pace setter from last weekend in sixth. And a Frenchman, Backscheider. Did I get that right? Am I going to yeah, be? Yeah. Nope, that's how I would pronounce it. Okay. I know it's French, but I, I it sounded a little bit German to me. But no, anyway, see, I'm I'm tentative yeah, here. And then we have no, in, no, but <laughs> and then Paul, Paul and yeah, eighth. I Paul mean, that's eighth. how you know their skis are so good. That's yeah. how you know the Norwegian skis are so good because Paul is a great ski racer. But 15k individual start skate, top ten, it's the best skate race he's ever done in a distance individual start race, hands down. So they had they had amazing equipment. But yeah, I agree. You had seven Norwegians in the top eleven. Um, that's uh, that's a yeah that's a beatdown of epic proportions, and then of course the Russians like we've been talking about all year long like it's a snooze fest in the men's it's just Russia versus Norway most weekends today no no big exception. Backshider though seventh, twenty five seconds off the lead. This is a huge breakthrough for him for this season. This was an amazing race. This has to mark as one of the best races he's ever done uh, of his career. Uh, so what a great race. And especially with, when looking at the time back, you're 25 seconds back. So you're tight. You're right in there. I mean, he, he's only, he is not far from Sunby. I mean, eight seconds from Sunby in fourth. So a great race by, by the French. I, it's so good to see that. I, I was really excited to see that. Even Clément Pettis too. We've talked about Pettis a bit. 
Uh, he had a tough start to the season and to see him back in 13th, like back up in 13th, not back in 13th. That, that, that's really great. And let's keep shouting out to the, to the British athletes. Oh yeah. Andrew Young, Andrew Young is a 15 K skate individual start machine. Now he's 15th. We talk so much about maybe, maybe off air, maybe that didn't get published. I don't know if that got it edited out, but how great a race he had in Davos, but he has followed that up a number of times now. And today, 15th and 44 seconds down phenomenal race by young in a 15k skate that's really exciting to see especially in a season when you have um when you have the other big british star struggling so it it was uh yeah musgrave has really struggled this year messed up his training that's obvious now and he's not coming back from that and to see andrew young really pulling up his socks in the distance events has been really fun to see and starting in bib four so, I mean, really. Oh, yeah. Like no just, information yeah. whatsoever. Yep. Yeah. Just totally doing it on his own. Great race. I mean, to me, they, they of course, should love the guy. Great dude. Deserved winner. Skied beautifully. Uh, awesome to see him win. Finn Hagen Crow. How awesome was that to see him come third after the challenges he's had the last year and a half? He was a controversial pick for the for the ski tour. Not in my eyes, quite frankly. Because he was so strong at nationals, he won a Norwegian Cup 30k individual start skate, not Norwegian Cup, sorry, Scandinavian Cup uh, by 45 seconds. So when you, when considered against all the rest of the best skiers in Scandinavia, he is way better in skating. And then at nationals, when he won the 15k skate there, Norwegian nationals I'm talking about, it was great that they picked him and I'm really, really happy for him to be back on the podium. You saw him today. Yeah. His technique is just so good. He's so smooth attacking style for for anyone that wants to learn how to do a offset or what we call offset in in uh, english what is offset again in v1, v1. alternate or v2 v1. alternate v1. v1 there you go v1 if you want to look and see how you do v1 perfectly using both both legs efficiently keeping your shoulders square moving well uh, finn hagen put on a display he loves osterson he's won an osterson before and today great race by him what do you make i mean I just kind of, when I was working on the men's draft, uh, you know, Crow, obviously, you know, you want to speak about Andrew Young, Bib 4, having to go on pretty much zero information. Crow... Finn, too. Finn's Bib 16. He had no information either. Yeah, right. So he's Bib 16 and has no information either and is looking, you know, sets down a, a hammer fest uh, through the finish. And really, you know, we've got to wait you know, for a Sumbi to come through in like bib four, 40 to start kind of challenging him. One thing that stood out, and I just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, when you look at the winner, Rota's timing, he came through at 5K in 19th. You know, again, it's interval start, right? No, no, but it was a very well-disciplined race yeah. by Shude, And that's why I kept saying, Teresa had an amazing race, but you saw some athletes today. Shude is a picture perfect. Yeah, he did it absolutely to perfection, I should say. Yeah, 19 seconds back. Very, at 5K. very well. Yes, very well. Yeah, and very well disciplined race. He's raced in Osterson before as well. Osterson is a steep course, it's punishing. You also need power through those corners. The descents aren't just like sit in a tuck and chill. Like you have to carry your speed. It's a very playful course. And if you just go bananas in the first two, three K, it's game over. Your your legs are going to turn to concrete 
And maybe you'll slow bleed on all the steep climbs. Of course, everyone knows that. But that's not where you lose time in the men's field. You lose time in the men's field in the flats, through all those transitioning terrain, through the corners. And Shu have just had an amazingly well-disciplined race. And yeah, it's uh, it resulted in, a, in his first World Cup victory of the season this year. So that uh, was great to see. Really fun. And then when you have the best skis in the field, I mean... You know, Norway had the best skis in the field, no question today, and and uh, he came out on top, so really happy for him. One man that was on fire for the first 2.6K from Italy, Federico Pellegrino. I don't know if you were watching at that point, but he was in bib 10. I was like, yeah, what was. is he oh, doing? Yeah. Like sprint, sprint points, buddy. Exactly. That's what he's doing. So he got those bonus points yeah. at 2.6K, but boy, he... Oh, it yeah. cost him everything, but... Who cares? But who cares? It just took me a minute. Well, I just hadn't, you know, I hadn't gone back and looked. It was like, where specifically are the bonus points? I'm like, is there someone up there? He's trying to catch it. And then it was like a walk as soon as he went through that time. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. He essentially did a sprint prologue and it resulted in sprint points. And I also think we didn't, we didn't touch on that earlier when we were discussing the, the outline of this ski tour 2020. But I think it's cool. They're trying stuff like this for the sprinters because, I think we should build up the the sprint competition, you know, like the sprint bib and the tour de ski sometimes can be an afterthought, especially previously this year, they did it a little better by not having so many bonus points seconds at the finish line of every distance race. But in the past, I mean, you've seen like Sunbeam uh, way up there in the sprint cup, uh, not sprint cup, but the sprint standings of, of tours and other distance skiers that are, if they qualify in the tour de ski with a weaker sprint field, get knocked out in the quarters. And then all of a sudden, uh, up on top of Alpshermis, they're in the top three in the sprint standings, which is ridiculous. So it's cool that they're trying trying things like this with Ski Tour 2020. And it's cool that that stars, big stars like Pellegrino go like, no, I want to win this. I want to win the, the sprint standings of this tour, or I want to be way up there. And he takes the chance and and nabs those early points. I think it's I think it's just fun. I think uh, good for him for trying. I mean, but I mean, yeah, it cost him dearly. <laughs> you saw how slow he was going. He was he was molasses after that big effort early. Oh yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, it was, yeah. It was kind of interesting for me. It just, it was a check for me to like go back and look at my info. Uh, I am scrolling through here just to kind of check on our our friends, Claybo. Uh, tough day, really tough day. Yeah, tough day. But yeah, what is that all about? What's what's the buzz in Norway? Well, he had a horrendous day. There's no question. I mean, he's not in the points. This guy's won the overall globe a few times here and is the best skier in the world. 31st. He's 31st today. Yeah, he broke his finger. He had to do a lot of alternative training. Regardless, today was a stinker. And like I've said in the past, we have to give these stars a bit of a pass once in a while. You're allowed to have a bad day. Today for Claybo wasn't just a bad day. It was like, yeah, it was a total stinker. Feel bad for him. That's not where you want to start the tour to ski. 122 back. But there's a lot of guys around him for the for the classic part of the pursuit tomorrow. I mean, Everson had a tough day on the result sheet, although not a horrible day for a 15K skate to be 103 back. But Claybo is 122 back. So it'll be interesting to see if Claybo can use some energy and get up to the likes of uh, a DeFabiani, an Everson, uh, Ustyagov, that group there for the classic part. And hopefully they can move through the field and he could get some of that damage back. But for the overall, 
I mean, yeah, if he wins both sprints, he gets a minute both days, blah, blah, blah. We know that. But it's just not a good start. And, and you know, he, he had been making some gains. Sorry, he had. Listen to me. He has made some great gains in his distance skiing this year, even in the 15K skate, which is his white whale. It is. Um, but today we're back to Claybo of old um, in the 15K skate, and he struggled today, and that that's disappointing. But not as, but look who else does, has been struggling all season long. Maurice Magnifica, his best event, 15K skate, and he's back in 34th. Like, what up with that? Uh, that is just, that's a nightmare. But he's had a tough season. So, but Claybo, for sure, he's got a lot of work cut out for him if he wants to contend for the top three in the overall at the end of this tour. But it's early, it's day one, and he's not so far back from a good group in time. Okay, lastly, because I'm curious if you've seen him cruising around with a weight vest or a weighted ski poke uh, around Lillehammer, uh, Sunby in fourth. Yeah, it was an amazing day by Sunby. I mean, you know what I thought was cool too? Because Sunby can be kind of grouchy, especially in interviews and stuff. Like he's, he is like, he is like, he's starting to be like a bit of a grumpy old man out there in the interviews. So, uh, which I think is pretty hilarious. But Today, he was very satisfied with his race. It was, he said it himself, this is right from Sunby's mouth. He said, this is one of the best skate races I've had in a very long time, uh, especially individual start skate. So he he's come to the ski tour in shape. Last week, he talked a lot about his skis were not good, which I found really strange. And I'm like, how is this possible? I mean, the Norwegians had an amazing skis last week. Uh, he has the same technician as Therese Johug. Uh, like who had amazing skis i'm like how, yeah. how is this possible it's such a machine but after hearing from the technicians over there they did go out and retest everyone's ski well especially there was two athletes that were very disappointed with their skis last week from the norwegians in falun and that was sunby in 18th and then ingveld who is so far back and they went out and they retested their skis against the the top skis of, of the athletes that did really well like the holands and the Krugers and uh, and the Shuroftas and uh, Sunbi skis were bad. They they were bad last weekend. So you know he I don't know the construction or something was off with with Sunbi skis last weekend. So and and same with Ingveld. Ingveld skis apparently were horrendous in the retest. So I mean you have uh, you see today both I mean, of them both of them had yeah. good skis and they were both right up there. So so maybe last I mean are we talking like ski selection rather than prep? Yeah, in I that think, particular case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think probably they. Could be a ski selection thing, and you you don't know. Maybe, maybe something happened with um, the construction of the skis that they selected, and with uh, dirty snow and structure and and grind. When you put all that into consideration, things can things can go haywire, especially. But it's rare that that happens to only two athletes of an entire team of like eight thousand, like the Norwegian system is. But um, you know, hearing the confirmation of that, and then just seeing how both of them had great days today. Uh, they can take a lot of confidence from that. And then, uh, yeah, no, for sure. Okay. In closing on a lighter note. Oh, I've got so one I more post- thing before we close on the lighter oh. note. We're going to go heavy yeah. note for a second. Oh, uh-oh. Okay. Shoot. What the hell is going on with the Swedish men's program in distance skiing? I mean, if, if I was a staff of the Swedish men's coaching staff, I would be like, at a loss. I mean, if they were in any other sport, they're all sacked. They're all fired. I mean, this is this this season has been a straight up nightmare for the distance side of things in Sweden. And I am such a dork that after seeing today, you had two Swedes in the top thirty. Their best Swede was nineteenth. It's at home in Ostersund. Oh, 20, yeah, twentieth. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Berman, Berman was twentieth. Yeah. Through the splits, he was nineteenth. That's right. Colonia was nineteenth. 
This is great because this proves my point. I went back and I looked through the distance races. Yes, I know. What am I doing with my life? This is what I do. But no, this is good. I went yep. back and I went through. It's like, this has to be the worst World Cup result ever for the Swedish team at a home World Cup. And guess what? Officially, now that you said it was 20th instead of 19th, it was tied for the worst one ever. Now it is. This is the worst the Swedish men have ever done in a World Cup at home in Sweden ever. And and if it Yeah, it's pretty stark. Yeah, and if, if if it was just taken on its own, then you know, skis play into that. There's all sorts of things that can happen. You know, a real stinker of a day uh, in the past was in 2006, Petter Nortug's first World Cup win, actually. It was a pursuit, 20k pursuit in 2006. Their best result there was 19th. It was Matthias Fredriksson. But I was in that race. It was a zoo. I think the top 25 were all within like six seconds. So really, okay, Fredrickson's 19th, but he's probably like 4.10, 4.8 seconds off winning. But uh, today, unacceptable. Like Like Sweden, I keep coming back to this. We see how strong the Swedish women are in sprints. We see how strong the Swedish women are in distance as well. The Swedish men in sprints are also still fairly strong. They're not at their peak either. I mean, in in their best times, the Swedish men were dominant in sprint and distance. But right now in distance skiing, this is unacceptable. I mean, it's unacceptable to have your best man from Sweden in Ostersund be 20th uh, almost a minute back. Like, what is going on? Like, do something about this. Because they're better than that. I know they are. Well, what was it like for you? I think you were at World Juniors last year, and I just haven't done my homework on this. And I have they have other- good. They have good. They have a good development. They're not. They're not amazing, but they're. It's not horrible. I mean, their development is good, so the future does look bright. But you know, in with Canada and the U.S., you hear a lot about like waves, right? Oh, it comes in cycles. Things go in cycles, and like you know what, that kind of annoys me once in a while. But okay, let, let's just go with that for argument's sake because we got to wrap this up. So say say smaller countries go in cycles. Big countries, powerhouse countries of cross-country skiing do not come in cycles. The Russians aren't coming in cycles. The Nor- yeah, and I know some people are going to say, what about the Russian women? Well, when all Russian women are getting caught for doping, sure. then I guess that can really affect things. But but regardless, Norwegians don't really come in cycles, really. <laughs> you know. But the Swedish men, because even on their down years, we've talked a lot about that, like 2010, 2009, 10, 11... 12 maybe on the overall world cup standings they weren't very strong the norwegian men but on individual world cups or on championships they are up there the swedish men are always up there and this year on the distant sides of things it is a crisis situation they're better than that i know they're better than that i hope they figure it out because it's embarrassing well i so i'm just curious uh and i remember thinking about this back around the Olympics in 2018 and most notably because they had the coolest race suits out there in canary yellow were the Swedish biathletes. And there was like a young crop of Swedes that just like popped onto the scene and meddled. And uh, just again, I'm, I'm locking their names, uh, but a young man and a young woman, uh, they, they were quite good. And as a team, they were quite good. Is there any merit to like, maybe, and I know they'll, you know, a lot of old school cross country skiers would say, oh yeah, well, 
they're bumping down. They're getting into biathlon because maybe they weren't that top two percent uh, in Nordic skiing. I, I, I don't. I don't know. But is there any merit to like maybe there's just another attractive alternative at this point for young skiers? Yeah, it's it's hard to know. I mean, you know, Sweden's also been so strong in hockey, and that's an excuse you hear a lot in Canada with every sport other than hockey. Is that the good athletes? Like, like we're just take an athlete as that term, take it for what it is, like a good athletic talent. Yeah. Get, gets gets sucked into hockey. The best athletes are playing hockey in Canada. And they've been and, good at hockey for decades. And, but Sweden is, but yeah, Sweden is also great at hockey throughout more than decades, like since yeah, the beginning, for a long time. you know? Right. Exactly. So they, they've had a bit of talent drained to hockey already, uh, you know? And yeah, you're right. Like the young, the, the Bathon team especially in 2018 did a great job for sweden both men and women and they they continually have a good women's team especially right now the men are also solid but they're not at their top level compared to 2018 but the men we still have good sprinters from the men the men and the women the women's sprint team of sweden is the best in the world and the women's distance team is still really really good and yet the men's distance team, I mean, Jens Berman is a great athlete, amazing athlete. And yeah, I like to bust Callie's balls, but he's a great athlete too. Um, you know, he's a good skier anyways. He's, a, he's, not, he's not legendary. He, no one will remember him in 20 years other than being like someone that lipped off to Nortug and could never win. But he is a good skier. And, and yet they can't like, this is insane. I mean... The history is just so deep in, in Sweden and they're so much better than this. I hope they can figure this out because like you said, they have some skiers in the development pipeline. But on the Scandinavian Cup too, dude, if you want to if you want to really like scratch your head and be a bit freaked out, like go go look at Scandinavian Cup yeah, results. That's and just, the data, right? And then, and then just keep, look for Swedish flags in the top 30 in any distance event. Like I dare you. They're, like, they're devoid of Swedish flags. Norway's all over the top 30 in the Scan Cup. And, uh, yeah, like they need to do something because they are a skiing superpower and they have been a skiing superpower in the men's field. And they've really been transcendent in the men's field with the likes of Gundesvan or Matthias Fredriksson, Per Ellefsen, Johan Olsen changed skiing with his 50 K world championship win in 2013 in Val de Fiem by just skiing away from everybody. You have Sodegren who's won Holman Colin a few times, a lot of medals in the world championships as well. You have so many great athletes. Marcus Hellner, Jesus, it's 10 years since the Olympics in 2010. And who is the Olympic pursuit champion? Marcus Hellner. So you have all these legends. There's no excuse. Sweden's better than this. And the, the leadership in Sweden need to to give their head a shake and either make some changes or write this shit because this can't go on like this. Okay. So, but for all, and I know we're, we'll wrap up any minute here and, and it's a podcast so people can press stop. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, as I scroll Fast forward through our drivel. Fast That's forward right. Through our drivel. It's fine. So as I scroll down here though, I mean, and we have discussed this as, as well, but I mean, Finland, one person in the top 30, right? I mean, they've been a one-person show essentially on the guy's side for the most part for a few years now. It, yeah, same deal. No, it, it is a bit of the same deal. Uh, it's hard for me not to get a whole bunch of hate mail if I start going in with the Finns because when they were well, they, dominant, they were all on EPO. So that's, But they were that's, doping. That's tough, well, yeah. 
but but I mean, but still, let's let's be let's be real here. You know, you have Matty Heikinen is a world champion. Yes, and you also have and world great World Cup results, and then you had Sammy Yahoo Yarvi, who's also a I mean, he's Olympic champion as well. Um, great athletes, and and I feel like. Finland and the sprinters are still solid. I mean, Hakala is still really good, and you have a lot of good classic sprinters. Names you've never really heard of, but they're all over the top thirty, usually in a classic sprint. So, in the distance side of things, I agree. Today was a bad day, but fifteen k skate for Finland. You know, Matty Heikinen's been a great fifteen k skater in the past, but Sami Yahoyarvi couldn't skate himself out of a paper bag since winning World Juniors in skating, and uh, which well, is crazy. How's that for a stat? Sammy Yahoo Yarvi is the world junior is, skate champion. That's dating yourself. Oh yeah. No, I know that I'm saying Nordork to the max. This is where you're all fast forwarding when you're listening here, but, but, uh, they haven't traditionally been very good in skate individual start races pretty much ever. So today, but I agree with you. I agree with you, man. Like you have one guy in the top 30 from Finland. That's, that's, that's not good enough. It, it's not, it's, it's just not good enough, but they ha- also have solid juniors good club programs in Finland. So you got to hope that that can translate into some better results. But again, like I said, go through the Scandinavian cup results and there's not a lot of Finnish flags in, in the top either. So Sweden and Finland, especially on the distance men's side of things, it's not looking good and they need to do something because they are good enough. They have good enough talents. They need to be better full stop. When, when you're that good, it's like, it's like Manchester United in, in English soccer people that follow that like they're struggling and when you're that big when you're that big and you're that good you have to answer to the critics because you you should be better full stop you know uh okay in closing in let's Let's get into the light stuff sorry about okay i put out that's okay no i'm i no i i'm glad you brought that up okay so i did post something on on Facebook, a rare Facebook posting by myself, but not on my own personal page that I don't think I've posted anything on in maybe nine years. Yeah. But anyway, there's a photo of these three blue. I, I texted you earlier. I'm like, what are those blue things on the side of the course, like around the 2.6 kilometer mark? They got a lot of airtime. Whoever they were got a lot of airtime. Essentially, three people dressed in these stuff, what looked like three blueberries, but in the shape of a house. And they each seem to be holding yeah. like a paint roller. Like you're going to reach up and paint your ceiling. Or uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the photo. Those are not, I, at first I thought, oh, maybe they're holding microphones. A respond, someone on Facebook responded, maybe they are mascots for Obos. Obos, and I looked it up. Yeah. They're a house or developer or a house builder in Norway. It's really weird. I'm not going to get into what their deal is, but yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's, that's what I think they, I was like, well, they do look like houses. Yeah. And Obos is a big sponsor. They're a big sponsor of the yeah, this they're ski sponsor. Tour 2020. And it is cool to see, not cool, but I mean, there's just so many Norwegian sponsors of this ski tour, even in Sweden. So could be that, but I, I noticed that really well too. So if it is a Norwegian company, uh, they, whoever they are, they will be really pumped after seeing the footage of today. Cause they got a lot of play. They do get a lot of play, but I would say, and I am no marketer. Okay. But and again, I don't live in Scandinavia, but you do. If you don't know what they are, and maybe it's just three people dressing up like it's Mardi Gras or something. I hope it is. That'd be, that'd be even better. That would be even better. <laughs> but it seems to me like, I don't know, it seems pretty. And they have down booties on, actually, I think, too. But uh, 
it'd be nice from a marketing standpoint to know exactly what they are. Oh, they're trying to sell this. I don't know. It's a little bit of a mystery. I agree. Someone's. I agree with you, but like, let, let's, well, they has a Phillies hat on, you know, like the crazy Philadelphia Phillies mascot. Yeah. What, what is that dude? You mean the new one? Like the hockey one? No, the hockey one's a classic too. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. The hockey, like, okay, let's just jump from the baseball <laughs> to the hockey one. Like, if you took that without his Flyers jersey on, like, what is that, right? So, I mean, maybe it is for the true fans. Like, maybe it is for the true, the true, uh, oh, gritty. The true fans out there. His name's you know? Gritty, the Flyers one. Yeah, Gritty. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Gritty. So, I mean, like, take, take the gear off Gritty and he just, like, what's that about, you know? So, but contextually, he's wearing a Flyers jersey and he's cruising around at a hockey game. No, I know. Exactly. I know. It's true. It's true. It's true. No, no, I'm just but I'm saying. Just, like, yeah, good point. But I, I agree that, yeah, he, they could have scribbled the name of the thing yes, on, that's on what this I'm weird thinking. house mascot thing, especially when they're standing at like a filming point the whole time. I totally agree. And I, you know, the mystery's still out there. So for all those people that email us and we don't respond, please email us. Well, what people, that is. someone and, just wrote, a couple of people actually have this. Okay. Someone almost, wrote, okay, if it's a couple of people, we're just going to go with it. No, no. One person wrote almost. Two people, I think, wrote, well, this guy wrote, uh, or a woman, um, yeah, Hope Pinkerton wrote, sorry, Hope, uh, really portable potties because <laughs> they're on legs. Yeah, so that true. might be two. Ah, good, good, good stab. Good, good, good attempt. We're going to go with that. Okay. We'll talk tomorrow. Yeah, we'll talk tomorrow. Classic exciting day. Pursuit. Yeah, it's going to be exciting tomorrow. And let's hope that some other countries can, the tech, the, te- the techs of the other countries can step up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, that that's not a call out there. Everyone does such a great job. But I mean, when I see a day like today, and then mostly what I'm listening, what people are saying, what the Norwegian athletes and staff are saying, they're, they're almost like shaking their heads. Like, and they were, their skis were just ridiculous today. And man, like you said, swept both podiums. Oof. Okay, well, have a good evening. Okay, talk tomorrow. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening, and we'll have five more episodes from the Ski Tour 2020 coming later this week.